there's a culture war going on in this country, we can no longer remain silent on the issues that affect us all. Decisions we make now will determine our future. But how do we engage with the culture in a way that honors Jesus? How do we rise above the noise to know what is right and what is true? It's time to bring God back into the conversation. It's time to reconnect. Here's Carmen. Welcome, friends. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is The Reconnect. We're here to speak the truth on the real issues of the day in real time. So how do we do that? How do we get God back into the particular conversations of this day? How do we get God back into the conversations about Roy Moore? How do we get God back into the conversations about a transracial man born white who considers himself Filipino or the 12-year-old child who was allowed to transition from male to female and then at 14 uh, changes his mind and wants to transition back? How do we get God back into those conversations? Well, those are the conversations that we're going to consider here today on The Reconnect. How do we enter into the conversations of the day as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ? That's my chief concern. How do we speak the mind of Christ on the matters of the day? Uh, Recognizing that people don't need just another piece of our mind, but they very much need the peace, the surpassing peace of the mind of Christ. So I think you're just the person to give it to them. I invite you to connect with me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our email newsletter. Also today, we have a brand new resource posted for you. Uh, the lead of that resource is this. Uh, I'll just, this is my, what do you call that when you tell people in advance? Spoiler alert. Okay, so this is a spoiler alert. This resource is actually designed to help you cope with the uh, constant barrage of negative information and news streaming at you 24-7. So that's actually what the uh, resource is designed to do. We call it Pray the News. Uh, It's an acknowledgement that uh, pain and suffering, uh, hate and man's inhumanity to man, are the realities of the human condition. They are with us all the time. They have been uh, throughout human history. They are not greater today nor more common. Uh, And yet, because of social media, because of our 24-hour news cycle, we are aware of the horrors that are endured by others in real time. And so it seems as if things are far worse today than they've ever been, and certainly that evil is uh, on some sort of escalating rampage in our own neighborhoods and around the world, when in reality, uh, this is probably uh, pretty much how it's always been. We just haven't been this aware of it. So as Christians, what do we do? Well, the first thing that we do uh, is not to give in to the anxiety or hope or or some sense of hopelessness We recognize that we do have another option. That option is to pray. And so we pray. And specifically, I I think we should pray the news. So right now, you can go to our website, reconnectwithcarmen.com, and you can download a free resource to help guide you praying through the headlines of the day. We're actually going to help you pray the news. Now, uh, so that you don't start uh, immediately sending me all kinds of nasty uh, text messages and... um, and tweets and Facebook posts that, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers are not enough. Thoughts and prayers are not enough. How dare we uh, think of people in their time of grief and sorrow and pray for them and not do anything about it? Uh, well, I argue in the resource, and I would certainly argue to you here today, uh, that real prayer, prayer that is motivated by that which breaks the heart of God, and prayer that is uh, beseeching God to act on behalf of of those who are hurting and grieving in the world, motivates God's people to action. And so uh, 
uh, it, this is not just uh, people who are crying out to God that God would do something. These are this is when we also recognize that as agents of God's grace in the world today, as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, it's part and parcel of who we are and our work here in the world um, to do all that we can uh, to remedy realities of injustice and certainly to intervene uh, when man is being quite in, inhumane uh, to other men. Okay, so uh, visit reconnectwithcarmen.com, download the free resource available uh, just starting today it's called Pray the News, and it, get yourself equipped to guide you in praying through the headlines of the day, getting off the sidelines and into the conversations of the day in ways that honor Jesus. But let me uh, let me lead off um, today with a, I, I, for me it's a note of celebration because I have been on hard hat tours of the Museum of the Bible uh, along the way. And so it is nothing short of uh, just thrilling to me that the Museum of the Bible is, in fact, opening this Saturday to the public. Uh, there was a sneak preview last week for folks who were uh, uh, recognized as like, you know, social media uh, savants who were going to get this word out to the rest of the world. And it opens Friday in a private ribbon cutting ceremony. But this coming Saturday, it's literally going to be open to the public. Uh, and if you are in Washington, D.C., uh, you got to go. If, if you're a person who has been waiting to go to Washington, D.C., and you've said to yourself, I just, you know, there's only a handful of things that I'd want to do, and there's only a handful of people I'd want to see, <laughs> now you got something that would keep you uh, engaged and stimulated, entertained, and uh, and deep in uh, awe, deep in awe of the Lord our God for days. This is a place where you could return not only uh, day after day, but you could return year after year. Um, this is going to be, in my view, the most exciting and dynamic opportunity for the Word of God to go forth in our generation uh, in ways that are unique and depict the Bible's growing influence over the course of time through, uh, through many cultures. Uh, and I think it has great potential to spread the word of God in ways that, um, uh, that just regular media doesn't. People are going to be able to experience it. They're going to be able to see it for themselves. Uh, it's strategically placed on the National Mall. The Museum of the Bible um, comes with these. When you, when you go in, you're going to get this high-tech uh, sort of docent that walks around with you because it's in your hand, so it walks around with you. Um, and and on there, you sort of track the things that you want to do, and you have an, uh, an opportunity to interact with the material in ways that the person walking right next to you is not interacting. So it's a very personalized experience. You can uh, they've got restaurants there. There's uh, all kinds of exhibits. Uh, it's eight it's it's eight stories and it's I don't know something like 50,000 square feet I mean it's just ginormous it's a huge place uh, and so uh, I want to just encourage you to check it out check it out online there's some really cool interactive videos online right now related to taking your own little uh, tour of the Museum of the Bible but also just really encourage you in your future trips to the area uh, to go and check out uh, the Museum of the Bible. And don't be lazy. Go all the way to the top because you get actually a bird's eye view of the U.S. Capitol from the Museum of the Bible. And it's going to be one of those um, must-post Instagram pictures uh, that everyone's going to have somewhere in their Instagram account and you don't want to be left out. There you go. There's the, there's the don't let your Christian friends one-up you by having a picture of yourself with the capital in the background from the top story of the Museum of the Bible. Don't let your friends have that and you not have one. 
Uh, and don't now you're getting worried. You're counting your pennies and you're saying that sounds like a terribly expensive place to visit. Was uh, more than five hundred million dollars to build. And um, we, we certainly want to give a, a praise to God for the Green family, uh, whose Hobby Lobby enterprises uh, pretty much underwrote the entire thing, along with lots of very small contributions by lots of people across the country. Uh, and, um, and, and I want to say this, it's free. It's free. Just consider that for a moment. It's free. Uh, now, you, you got to get a ticket, but the tickets are free. So let me encourage you also uh, to plan ahead because that is not something that you or your kids are going to want to miss. Oh, yes, super kid-friendly, by the way. Uh, the interactive stuff for kids, um, I know my husband will be saying, kids, I want to do that. You actually, uh, on the children's floor, get to do things like um, stand in the place of David and slay Goliath with your slingshot, and you get to fish with Peter. You get to help him haul in that great catch of fish uh, after the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, all kinds of um, stuff on the narrative floor as well, where you can sit in a uh, movie set recreation right now of how the village of Nazareth might have looked in Jesus's day, including like a family dinner table filled with all of the kinds of things that they would have uh, eaten at the time. And then when you get hungry, there's a couple of cool places that you can eat like biblical food, even like milk and honey. Okay, there you go. That's my uh, shout out to the Museum of the Bible. Uh, my thanks be to God for it. I absolutely trust that the word of God is not going to go forth from this place uh, except to accomplish that for which God has purposed it. And and so I celebrate that because this is certainly a incredible, uh, incredible launch pad for the word of God into the world that he so loves right there on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Okay, every day um, is filled with judgment calls. Uh, you've, you've already made a bunch of judgment calls today. You made a judgment call about uh, the outfit you, made, you, you put on. You made a judgment call uh, uh, along the way as you drove to work or as you interacted with other people in traffic. Lots of judgment calls along the way. The voters of Alabama are going to be faced with a pretty significant judgment call. Uh, they, have to, they have to judge who's telling the truth. And they have to judge in whom to put their trust as their next senator. I'm, of course, talking about the unfolding saga of Roy Moore, Republican candidate for the vacated Senate seat when Jeff Sessions uh, became the Attorney General of the United States. Uh, now at issue is a fifth woman who alleges that Roy Moore, when he was a 30-something-year-old district attorney, made inappropriate sexual advances on her. She was just 16. Roy Moore has flatly denied these latest allegations, denying knowing the woman, denying knowing the restaurant that she references in her allegation. Uh, and yet she has a yearbook, her yearbook, her high school yearbook, in which Roy Moore wrote a very personal note, uh, signed it personally, personally dated it, noted that he was the DA, and then made note of the restaurant that he now denies knowing anything about. So um, it's possible that all of this is a smear campaign, as he alleges, or it's possible that these women are telling the truth. And the voters of Alabama are going to have to make that judgment call. So how do we make that kind of judgment call? Um, how, how, do you, how do you judge what is good and uh, beautiful and true? Uh, how, what, what do you bring to bear in terms of judgment? Each and every one of us makes judgments every single day. We make a lot of them every single day. Um, 
and and we use some sort of system by which we're going to do that. And scripture is clear, you know, we, we need to judge carefully because we're going to be judged by the same standard that we use to judge others. Uh, and we all recognize the verse from Matthew because it is uh, the liberals' favorite verse to sling at us, uh, judge not lest ye be judged. Well, uh, fooey, we judge all the time. Con- life is a constant series of judgment calls. And so it's not a question of whether or not you judge. It's a question of uh, how you judge what you judge. Um, and so in this case, we have a judge, an actual judge, who we have to judge, whether or not he is truthful, whether or not he's a person of integrity, whether or not he did, uh, whether or not he, in fact, uh, did some of the things that uh, he is accused by five different women of having done. Yes, it was many years ago. Yes, I suppose that in those days in Alabama, uh, a West Point graduate uh, who came, you know, back to Alabama uh, as a single guy, uh, fresh out of law school, uh, and the new district attorney in your community, um, yeah, I suppose he um, he looked like a, a fairly good catch, even to mothers of very young girls. Um, and so around the country right now, there's a, there's a gag reflex in relationship to my saying that. But we do have to understand the days in which we're talking about, the culture uh, about which we are speaking, and then, yes, we still apply an eternal biblical standard about appropriate behavior between one image bearer and another image bearer. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about whether or not it is ever appropriate in any context for a fully grown 30-something-year-old man to find attractive and want to be with a 14-year-old girl. That, my friends, is the line we're talking about. Let's be perfectly clear. Never appropriate under any circumstances, in any context. Okay, I think that... uh, one of the reasons that we're even having a debate in our culture about where are the appropriate lines of engagement uh, in terms of contact between people in power and people out of power, the sexual harassment, sexual uh, abuse allegations related to Hollywood and Washington and every other sector, uh, the tech sec, every sector uh, that is now uh, under scrutiny Uh, And where these revelations are coming forth about women experiencing, predominantly women, not all women, I should make note here, uh, but predominantly women, having been manipulated and made to feel as less than human, objects, objectified, and in many cases, traumatized by experiences of men in positions of power taking advantage of Uh, sexual opportunity. The only way we get to this place in our culture is because we have utterly set aside the authority of the Word of God and we are living unto ourselves uh, in very animalistic ways. This identity crisis that we are having in America at so many levels is because we don't actually know who we are as the image bearers of the living God. We're not actually living as people redeemed in Jesus Christ on purpose and for a purpose. 
We're certainly not living as people who have been set free from the power of sin in this life, even if we are people who hope to take advantage of the fact that Jesus has uh, overcome the power of sin and death. Right? We, we are happy for Jesus to have paid the penalty of sin and freed us from that penalty and death. But we are certainly not operating as people who are under his authority in the lordship of life, as if he has also freed us from the power of sin in this life. So when we talk about the identity crisis uh, here in our culture, I have a couple of uh, examples for you today that um, I think you know each and every one of us needs to be prepared for the conversations of the day. And those conversations, um, you know, frankly, keep getting weirder. I don't even know if that's a word. Can you put an ER at the end of the word weird, weirder? Weird, weirder, weirdest. Okay, every time you think we have arrived at weirdest, it just gets weirder. Okay, so, and, and this is then when I am compelled to absolutely, my, my brain is forcing me now to say I before E except after C and in the word weird. Weird, right? There you go. That will be your spelling lesson of the day. Weird should be an IE word, but it's not. It's an EI word. All right, weird. Here's a weird one for you. Transracial man, born white, says he considers himself Filipino. Doesn't really matter what news source you want to grab this from. Uh, it is now ubiquitous across the wires today. Transracial is people likely uh, don't encounter very often. Transracial refers to someone who is born one race but identifies as another. And you're saying to yourself, now, wait a minute, race is not malleable. Race is actually one of those um, fixed categories. Well, you thought gender was a fixed category. Uh, and for many people, it is not considered a fixed category. Uh, and so this man who whose name was Adam, he was given the name Adam at birth. He now calls himself Jadu. Jadu, despite being born very fair-skinned with blue eyes, identifies as Filipino. Jadu, uh, who lives in Tampa, Florida, has not told his family, which I hope he realizes now that uh, they know, um, he has not told his family about considering himself Filipino. Why? Because he believes they will laugh at the idea of someone changing their ethnicity. Okay, just to be clear, uh, Mr. Jadu has not changed his ethnicity. He may live it, he may be living with a delusion of being a different race, but he is not in fact Filipino. He is white. His 23andMe chromosome, uh, you know, little feedback thing would be pretty clear. Just as if if he bothered to do that, it would be really clear that he is male biologically, genetically. So this uh, this fascination that we have with our genes these days, 23andMe is, uh, uh, if you if they haven't been reaching out to you lately, they're going to be because, you know, the, the giving season is upon us and they think that they are a great gift. So the 23andMe people are making a fortune off of helping us, you know, um, oh, ancestry would be another, like, um, you know, telling us where we're from and who we're related to. Well, that's about ethnicity. That's about your genes. That's about genetically who you are. And these are facts. These are facts, people. You can't actually change the facts. Facts are facts. Well, unless, of course, facts are subject to feelings. Stacy 
Schneckner, who is the licensed psychologist interviewed for this particular article, considering whether or not uh, Mr. Uh, Jadu could actually declare himself to be a race other than the one he is, this, uh, this doctor, a licensed psychologist, which is not going to give you, after I read this, any confidence in that field whatsoever, she said that while she has never had a client who wants to change his ethnicity, it should not be considered a radical notion. Quote, if someone feels that they feel at home with a certain religion, a certain race, or a certain culture, I think that if that's who they really feel inside, then life is all about finding out who you are, and the more knowledge you have of yourself, then the happier you can be. So as long as it's not hurting yourself or anyone else, I don't see a problem with it. Okay, uh, let's just walk through this very scientific medical statement by Dr. Schneckner. Dr. Schneckner um, is highlighting feelings, not facts. This is, in fact, a fact-free assessment. If someone feels that they feel at home with, by the way, uh, her list includes a certain religion, a certain race, or a certain culture. She didn't include gender, which I'm surprised by, um, but I am a little surprised she includes religion. Okay, she's basically saying there's no fact or truth to any of these. There's no fact nor truth in any religion, any race, or any culture. It's all about what you feel. If you feel that that's who you really are inside, then, well, life is about finding out who you are. Is it really? That would be my question. Is life really about finding out who you are? Or is life really about understanding who God is and then understanding ourselves in relationship to him? See, that's where this misses the boat, but that's why our culture misses the boat on this as well. We are in the identity crisis that we are in because we do not accept and receive the revelation of God for who he is. And if you don't understand who God is, you absolutely cannot in any way understand who you are because you're made in his image and you're made for his glory. And your purpose in life is totally about who he is, not about who you are. I love it when she says, I don't see the problem with that, as if uh, she has now become, this doctor, has now become the standard of all right and all wrong. But the conversation in here where we should really uh, take note is the conversation about harm. When she says, as long as it's not hurting yourself or anyone else, I don't see a problem with that. Well, in fact, it is a problem because it is harmful. It harms not only the individual, it also is an affront to God. Failing to recognize who God is and failing to recognize God's good design um, is, is hurtful and harmful to God, who, by the way, is real and has real feelings. So uh, it might be affirming to the autonomous feelings of Jadu, also known as Adam, to imagine that he is free to declare himself Filipino. No one seems to be asking here how Filipino people feel about a white person claiming to be Filipino, but that's going to get us into that same conversation that we were in, I don't know, was that like a year ago when Rachel um, Dolezal declared herself to be African-American? Um, she was, she was a, she's a white person who declared herself to be black, led her life as a black woman, became the president of the Spokane, Washington chapter of the NAACP. You guys remember that story? Okay, black folks, none too happy about that, right? Uh, they, they, they declared you know, that uh, to be all, all sort of wrong, that somebody would um, co-opt their culture in such a way and declare themselves 
uh, to be what in fact they're not, right? Okay, so the misunderstanding of who we are, I think leads very predictably to all kinds of harm. Not only does it, uh, is it hurtful to God because we are rejecting who he is and all of his goodness, but it is harmful uh, to the individual who is allowed to uh, be affirmed publicly in this delusion. So I'm going to return to the subject below the fold today because this is the subject of identity is the one we absolutely have to be able to talk more about. So in the last segment of the show today, I'm going to return to this conversation because I also want to discuss with you this 12-year-old boy in Australia who was allowed to tra transition to being female um, and then at the age of 14 has changed his mind and now uh, it's going to require, require surgery to undo what all those hormones did. All right, friends, uh, right after the break, I'm going to be talking with Trisha Goyer. And then after that, we're going to return to this conversation about identity. Visit me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Download the Pray the News uh, resource, and I'll be right back. Word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my Hey friends, I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is The Reconnect. We are seeking to put God in his place, back where he belongs, right in the middle of every conversation. So we're talking about what people are talking about. We are equipping you to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. Uh, indeed, uh, I am one of those people that is going to encourage you to allow the word of God to speak for itself on the contemporary issues of the day. I'm inviting you to cultivate the mind of Christ on the matters of the day and then bring the mind of Christ to bear on the cultural concerns around us. I invite you to connect with me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. You can like us on Facebook. You can always let me know what you're thinking about. I'm on Twitter at Carmen LaBerge. I want to encourage you to go today to the website and grab our brand new resource just posted today on praying the news. So if you are a person who uh, feels a little bit overwhelmed and anxious about all of the things uh, happening in the world, you feel a little traumatized by all of that, we want to equip you to pray the news uh, and enable you as a Christian to actively engage uh, in God's meaningful um, answers to the questions confronting us individually and as a culture. All right, my guest this afternoon is Trisha Goyer. Trisha is the author of more than 70 books, including her popular works of Amish fiction, contemporary fiction, nonfiction. Uh, she and her husband, John, are the parents of 10, we're going to talk about that, and the grandparents of four. You can check it all out at trishagoyer.com. The, faith, the, the book we're talking about today is Walk It Out, The Radical Result of Living God's Word One Step at a Time. I love the title, um, and I love this concept of actually walking it out. So, Trisha Goyer, welcome to The Reconnect. Thank you, Carmen. It's great being here. All right, so um, walk it out. Why don't you just walk out for us what you mean um, when you say walk it out? You know, it talks about in James about being doers of the Word, not just hearers only. And for so many years, I would have my Bible time and quiet time, and um, it was a time to get filled up and get inspired for my day. And really, God said, okay, when are you going to start doing some of these things? Um, not just reading the Word, not just memorizing it, but actually walking it out and doing what it says. And for 
me, it included um, uh, going to a post-abortion Bible study, really where I found healing. It ended up helping start a crisis pregnancy center and then adopting kids. My grandma lives with me, um, so really caring for the widows and the orphans in all these areas. It's not just reading what God's Word says, but then saying, God, what am I supposed to do with that today? Um, and sometimes it seems like big things, like adoption, and sometimes it's small things, like walking across the street and introducing myself to a new neighbor, and all of that is really showing the love of God. Okay, so um, you just really scared people because, um, you know, you, right? So, you know, I want to I wanna walk with Jesus and I want that to make my life more simple and I want that to make my life a whole lot easier. And you just described a life that, um, from many people's view, became an intensely more complicated um, and certainly messy. So... Uh, so tell us, tell us what the joy is that you have found as you have walked it out with the Lord over the course of time and in this in this myriad of ways that you've just described. Um, what's the joy in that? Absolutely. You know, I was one of those people too, like you mentioned, that just wants the comfortable life. I had we had our three kids, we had a nice home, we were living the comfortable life, um, and but that felt like something was missing. I loved God. I know He loved me, but there was something missing in my walk with Him. And as I started serving other people, reaching out. I remember driving to our teen mom support group that I lead and just being so tired. And I can't even imagine pouring out to these young women. And then the joy was found as I was able to share hope with them. I was able to share truth with them. I was able to see that they started to understand who God was and that he had a plan for their lives. Or the joy is having these kids that came from very hard places. We've adopted six from foster care, one from a birth mom, and seeing them, they had no hope. They had no family. They um, just knew pain and heartache, and seeing them understand that God has good plans for them, and He loves them. And so even though it's hard, I mean, I'm completely overwhelmed some days with all the kids running around and the laundry and the schoolwork and all that's involved in being a mom, but at the end of the day to hear them praying and saying, God, thank you so much for my mommy and daddy, and thank you for the home that you've given me. That's where the joy is. The joy is realizing that it's not about me. It's not about my calling or my spiritual gifts or what I'm good at, but it's in my weakest times, pouring out, loving other people, having God's love flow through me and seeing the impact that that makes on others. Hmm. Friends, I know that you are now trying to track it down. So trishagoyer.com is where you want to go. The book is Walk It Out, The Radical Result of Living God's Word, One Step at a Time. Um, what you're talking about, Trisha, you know, is is fully integrating not only the Word of God into your life, but living a fully integrated life uh, for God. And that is, um, that's mature spirituality. That's mature faith. Uh, and so... Speak a word of um, maybe comfort and guilt release to women who feel like they're locked into commitments that maybe they've taken on without having been called specifically by God to do certain things. Um, let, let's have a conversation about that. Yeah, and that's what for me for many years. Um, I had been a teen mom. I had an abortion when I was 15 that I regretted, and I did found healing through that. But for so many years, I almost felt like I needed to serve God, to do great things for Him, to get those gold stars and to make Him proud of me and all these things. And I was, you know, serving in children's church and leading Bible studies and cooking at the church suppers and doing all these things and being completely overwhelmed. And it was actually my husband that sat me down and said, we have to change something because I was overwhelmed and 
just um, could not keep up with everything. And we really sat down and he said, okay, what things are you doing that you're doing because of guilt because, or because you didn't want to say no, or you think it's the right thing to do, even though it's not what maybe God has for us during the season of our lives. And we just started cutting off things from our lives, even some of the kids' activities and sports that we thought, you know, every little boy needs to play t-ball or every little girl needs to be a ballerina. Um, but they weren't interested. Those weren't their joys. And so we started cutting off things. And what I discovered was this freedom that when I felt God saying, invite that couple over for dinner, I had the space in my life to do that. And so I think really so many times we think we have to do more. And, we, you know, here's someone that says, oh, adopt kids and do all these things. It's adding more. But really it's cutting out the things that aren't vital for the things that are eternal. And just looking at my life and saying, you know, 10 years from now, what is going to be most important? And sometimes it's not all the things that we get busy with, but it's those things that are really going to change someone's life for eternity. Um, and really just take that time and don't feel guilty if you're thinking this is not the season. Um, and I even had my help, my husband would call and say, you know, Trisha won't be able to help volunteer in this area. Like he was even coming alongside me and helping me to say no to commitment. And I thought people would be upset. I thought they were going to get mad at me. They said, okay, like they understood. Um, and so many times we have all the skills and pressure, but God has a perfect plan and there's peace there. It's not the running around and the busyness and all those things, even though our lives are full, we still have peace knowing we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. Mm. All right. I have a couple of things that um, that I want to that lift up, and I'm hoping you'll just tell these stories. Um, one would be um, your missions work in the Czech Republic, and then your daughter's full-time mission work in the Czech Republic, and this sort of interconnectedness um, of, of your story. T- just just weave that together for us and um, and share share what you see in all of that. Absolutely. Well, I originally went there um, with some friends. Uh, they were researching for books. And we ended up going through the Czech Republic. And there's something about the country that just drew my heart. I couldn't stop thinking about it. There's just less than 1% of the people are Christians. And I just had this burden for them. Um, God put it on my heart to go on a mission trip to the Czech Republic, and I just thought it was, you know, just for our family and uh, just a way to get our kids to see the needs of others, and we went there, um, and we went there three times in a row, and God just ended up putting it on my daughter's heart to be a missionary there. And so here she is, she just graduated from college, and she's like, Mom, I'm going to go there, I'm going to live there for a year and um, work with the church that we had worked with, and she said, but I really feel that um, I'm not supposed to raise any money, that God is going to provide every penny. And I'm like, you know, can we do a spaghetti dinner or, <laughs> like, send out fundraising letters? Um, there had pe- been people that had been supporting our mission trip, so I thought surely they would love to support my daughter. And she's like, no, Mom, I really feel that I'm just supposed to um, just depend on him. And so she ended up getting closer and closer, and people gave a little bit of money, but she never asked. They just, you know, would come up to her and said, I think you need this. But it came to the point where she needed to show um, her bank account to the people that were providing her work visa to live there for a year. And she didn't have enough money. They said, we need to see that you can support yourself for a year. And they gave her amount that they needed to see in her bank account, and she was far from that. And I remember thinking, okay, God, you know, she felt so strongly that she wasn't supposed to ask, and I, I hate that she's going to be disappointed, and how are we going to handle this? Um, but again, she's just like, Mom, I just really feel like God's going to provide. I'm like, okay, you know, he's going to provide many thousands of dollars by tomorrow. <laughs> like, you know, I'm still, here's my daughter, like, with this, this faith there. Um, and she 
went that day and she had um, checked her email and there wasn't anything there. And she checked her spam folder and there was a message from PayPal that she had a deposit in there for $10,000. And it ended up being a young man that she had witnessed to when she worked in a Wendy's restaurant. He had been from a different country. He was a Muslim and he had tons of questions. And so here she is with ketchup and mustard and a Wendy's wrapper explaining the plan of salvation, Um, saw no fruit in it really when she was working with him, but she gave him a Bible and he took it home. Years later became a Christian, was looking it up, looking her up to tell her that he had become a Christian and saw that she was going on a mission trip and figured she needed money and deposited money um, into her email, which came through PayPal. And it was just like God. And so the money was needed the exact day that it was there, uh, that it needed to show up for this report to get her visa. And it was like, I, you know, so many times when I'm taking steps of faith, like going on this mission trip, I thought, okay, you know, yes, we're teaching our kids about fundraising or all these things, but God's like, it's not about you. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about the mission trips. It was like the faith he wanted my daughter to have. And now she's there full time. Um, And she married a Czech guy and she's serving. They have a young adult group that they meet with and Bible studies. And God's just showing me that, you know, I think sometimes these steps of faith is about me, but really he has a bigger plan that I can't even imagine. Oh, I just love that. All right, friends, the book is Walk It Out, The Radical Result of Living God's Word, One Step at a Time. The author is Trisha Goyer. You can check it out at trishagoyer.com. Um, all right, so <clears throat> this concept of of walking it out, obviously for you, one of the things that you walk out is is writing. Because, you know, you don't, nobody writes 70 books by accident and nobody (laughs) writes 70 books in their spare time. So um, uh, I guarantee you there's people listening right now who are thinking to themselves, you know, I've written some stuff. Talk with us about, for you, what, um, is writing almost a spiritual discipline for you at this point? Like what role does the exercise of writing play in your own spiritual life? Oh, absolutely. And I think when I am sitting there and have my Bible and I'm sitting there with my journal, um, that's really when God puts those messages on my life. Um, but, but it can't stop there. Um, when I'm serving, when I am, you know, going on mission trips or mentoring teen moms, um, then I see the needs. So it's, it's a part of being in God's Word, having the spiritual discipline to do that. And then seeing the needs in the community, you know, you can't really write big, impactful books if you're just sitting in your home all day. You really need to be interacting and seeing people in need and then putting those together. And it is, it's hard. You know, we've adopted these kids. Um, Sometimes at 9 o'clock at night, I have book deadlines. I think, okay, I need to at least get a 1,000 words on the paper, you know. And I'm tired. I'm exhausted. But in my weakness, God always shows up. And, And I think those people that have written, that maybe think they have a message they want to share, um, really that discipline of just sitting down and starting the work and depending you know, depending on God that he will be there to meet you is a huge thing. Um, I always tell myself, you know, God sees the finished book. It's just like encouraging to me to know that he will give me the words. Um, and I think so many times in our lives we think it's all about us, about what we can accomplish, and know that when we start taking the steps of faith, God will be there, whether it's writing a book, whether it's going back to school, whether it's opening a daycare, whatever it is, um, God is walking along with us in the process. He's not leaving us to say, okay, have a fun time. I called you this, but there you go. Um, instead, he's like, let's journey together. I know you can't do this alone, but I will be there with you. 
Mm, I just love that. Trisha Goyer, thank you so much um, for being with us today. Again, friends, the book is Walk It Out, The Radical Result of Living God's Word One Step at a Time. The website is trishagoyer.com. She's also Trisha Goyer on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest. Um, and uh, before you go, um, just just nothing, uh, nothing overly uh, uh, revealing, but is there a particular way that we can be praying for you and your family today? Mm, absolutely. You know, with adopting these kids, um, a lot of them come from traumatic backgrounds. And we're still, you know, going to therapy, um, dealing with some of those past issues. And I would just love readers to just pray that God would just bring healing to these kids and that he will use kind of the pain in their lives to impact others and to, to share their stories with those in the future who might need hope and healing too. Mm. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Trisha. We thank you for her husband. We thank you for her precious family. Um, Father, you actually know, um, you know these children. You've known them from the foundations of the earth and you know them uh, to eternity. You know uh, the circumstances of their conception and you know uh, the circumstances of their early lives and the way they came into um, the Goyer home. And we thank you for um, designing this family and this mother's heart, uh, especially for them. And we thank you for the resources that you're even now bringing to bear on their spiritual, uh, physical, and mental uh, healing. And so, Father, we would just ask that you, as the great healer, that you would, um, you would do the soul care that is needed to restore them fully, and that you would use their testimonies to your glory in the most powerful of ways. Uh, we thank you again uh, for Tricia and for her husband and for their family. Uh, and ask that you would pour out every spiritual resource that is necessary for them to accomplish your will in their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Carmen. That was beautiful. Thank you, my sister. I'm uh, I'm following you on Twitter, so, you know, look out. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right, friends. Um, seriously, if you just, uh, there are just some days that we talk to somebody and I'm like, I want to know that person in real life. Um, and I, I count it a privilege to get to have these kinds of conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ um, uh, across the country who, uh, you know, this just reminds me. I just am consistently reminded of this truth. God has really good people out there. Um, God's got people that he has claimed for himself, reclaimed for himself, deployed for his glory, um, and you are among them. And so uh, take this testimony by Trisha Goyer as, as you know, evidence of a redeemed life and what a redeemed life uh, pressed into the fullness of God's service can look like and really what it looks like to give God every part of your life, including uh, including your home and your family uh, and your labor, actually to find your identity in Christ. Uh, and obviously what a joy, what a joy that is. And so may there be more people like, uh, like her uh, and may her work uh, inspire you to a life where you walk it out every day. Uh, with the Lord our God. All right, friends, uh, take a quick uh, trip here below the fold. Uh, and I told you in the first half, the, the below the fold today was going to be an extension of our conversation about identity in the opening of the show. Uh, and so I want to lift up to you this, uh, this situation in Australia. 60 Minutes Australia has reported that there is a 12-year-old boy who was diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Now, you and I both know that's a real diagnosis. 
There's a, a, a confusion or a disconnect in terms of um, the, the very real distress that a person feels because their body doesn't match the way they think about themselves. And so gender dysphoria is a real, it's, it's real, it's a real issue, it's a real challenge. And so the question is, what do we do with children who um, are diagnosed with gender dysphoria? Well, in Australia, the parents of this 12-year-old boy uh, decided to allow him to transition to becoming female. And so with the help of his mother, he um, actually uh, adopted a female identity, began taking female hormones, and bodily became what we would describe as female. Two years later, which would be now, present time, at the age of 14, this young man changed his mind. He decided that he didn't want to be a girl. Uh, the problem is his body had already been permanently changed by female hormones. And his, the reversal will now require surgery. Simply uh, stopping the hormones is not going to change the ways in which during puberty those hormones actually changed his body. Uh, and so he's now going to have to have surgery to try to make his feminine-looking frame more masculine, where if they hadn't doped him up uh, to begin with, he would have the physically male form that God intended him to have, being genetically male. So a few thoughts about this. First of all, gender confusion is real. Um, and, uh, and yet children who experience gender confusion grow out of it. 80 to 90% of kids who are confused about these issues grow out of it. And so if people would simply not participate in the delusion of gender dysphoria, um, if the adults would be adults, if the adults would not, in my view, um, abuse these children, these minor, minor children, um, and turn them into something that they are not, um, then kids would grow out of it. Lots of kids grow out of this. Now that's not to say that gender dysphoria is not real. I've already touched on that. It is a real diagnosis. It is very real distress. However, here's the question. Do we help a child deal with the distress that they are experiencing in their mind because there is this confusion about the way, they're, the way they imagine themselves to be in their mind and their physical reality? Or do we change their physical reality to match what is going to be an ever-changing mind? This is where we have to have the conversation about identity and whether or not an individual's auto autonomous preferences, what I want, when I want it, however I want it, for as long as I want it, does that trump God's good design for my life? Who is the authority over this body? Who is the authority over this mind? Who is the authority over this life? Confusion and, and disorientation is real. And these identity crises that we see in the world around us and sometimes experience ourselves is an identity crisis that uh, is resolved when we find our identity in Jesus Christ. Um, everything old passes away and everything becomes new. And, and I am not saying that gender confusion disappears overnight for Christians. There are 
plenty of Christians out there testifying to the reality that, that they live moment by moment, day by day, in conflict with the reality of their body. But they do so bringing every thought captive to Jesus Christ. They do so in full submission to God's good design for them personally. They do so in, um, in, again, in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ over their desires. This whole concept of bringing our lives into conformity, cooperating with the active work of the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, submitting to God's redemptive uh, redesign of every part of ourselves. Scripture describes it as from one degree of glory to another. We are being more and more conformed to the likeness of Christ. And so um, I want you to prayerfully engage this subject matter. I want you to be praying for this young man in Australia and the confusion in his heart and the confusion in his household and the the irreparable harm that his mother has caused and the participation in that irreparable harm by doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists and everyone else who participated in um, in this abuse and this harm done to this child misunderstanding who we are leads us to misunderstand of a lot of other things. And so let's get uh, ourselves oriented rightly to God and Jesus Christ in order that we might be agents of a reorientation for our culture. All right, friends, literally all I got time for today. Please connect with me online at reconnectwithcarmen.com. Sign up for the podcast. You can donate to the ministry. You can share today's show with someone new. Have a great day and God bless. The Reconnect is brought to you by the Presbyterian Lay Committee. To continue the conversation and become part of the Reconnect community, visit reconnectwithcarmen.com.